You're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM here in Kingston, and welcome to Screening in Kingston. We have a special episode ahead for you, um, but first I'm going to introduce a special guest here with me, Tyler. Hello, everyone. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Like, who are you and why are you here? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm actually a Queen student. Um, actually, well, I just graduated. Actually, I just got my PhD around a week ago. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, in biochemistry. Um, so professional scientist, amateur science, um, it's like amateur movie lover i suppose <laughs> and um yeah so i was like i have been emailing you guys pretty regularly every mm-hmm. so often mm-hmm. and when i got the chance to come on and talk about one of my favorite topics star trek i jumped at it so and here i am staring this microphone in the face and it's very intimidating i just forgot though i brought a communicator that i'm gonna wear oh look at that um people can't <laughs> see me because this is radio but um <laughs> I just put on a Star Trek communicator, um, so there you go. I forgot to put it, I was going to put it on a few seconds ago, and I completely forgot. Well, it looks great. I can assure everyone listening at home, it's the real thing. It's the real thing. Um, so welcome, everybody, to Screening at Kingston. Um, this is a very special episode, um, another themed episode, um, just like we did last week, but this time we are focusing on Star Trek and the wide world that uh, that Star Trek is, including 13 movies spanning from 1979 to 2016. Uh, yeah, long long time, and and, and the TV show um, you know aired even earlier than than the first movie. So, you know, there there's a lot to talk about. Um, and if you're thinking, okay, I I'm not a Star Trek fan. I don't like Star Trek. I've I've never even tried it. Which most people who say they don't like Star Trek, they've never tried it. There's still something you're going to get out of this episode because we are going to talk about where we think you could begin and start if you were really interested in trying. And worst case scenario, you're just going to come out of this with maybe an understanding as to why it's such a phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. Which I think is fair. Um, So we're going to do that. um, And then we've got some headlines um, that Taylor did send in, even though she isn't here. Uh, Taylor has left a message for me to read out to everybody. So I'm going to do that now. So Taylor says, hello, dear listeners. I'm so sorry that I'm not joining today's episode, but know that you are all close to my heart this afternoon. This past weekend, I saw us, and it was a great follow-up to get out, despite some unneeded exposition. She puts in brackets, filmmakers need to give audiences some credit. I'll be back next week with more reviews and headlines, but until then, go see some movies. Love ya, XOXO. So that's Taylor. Um, She saw us. I also saw us this weekend. Oh, yeah? And... 
I I just still don't know what to think about it. I've been processing that movie for days, and I still just don't know what to think about it. No, it's really high on my list right now. I loved Get Out when I saw it, and I like the the sophomore slump, or the, like when the director makes a second movie and it doesn't hold up to the first. I'm I'm very wary of it, but the reviews have been so good. I'm actually pretty excited to go see this one. Yeah, I I don't want to say anything just because it's that type of movie. I think uh, you just yeah, have to go yeah. experience it and then make your own decisions. Because yeah. I have oh, there's so much that could be said about that one. <laughs> Um, okay, so Taylor will, will join us next week. She did send in some headlines, though, so we will get to those near the end of the show. But, as I said, we're going to talk about Star Trek today, and we're going to talk about um, several of the movies. I, I don't know if we'll necessarily deep dive into all of them. Mm. I think we'll probably touch upon most, if not all, 13. Um, but really, we just, you know, I think, and I'm only going to speak for me, and then I'll, Tyler, I'll let you kind of speak to, to where it comes for you. But this episode is from the heart for me. I mean, Star Trek is something that I was exposed to as like very young. I don't even remember when I first started watching Star Trek, but I'm pretty sure it's the minute that you are able to process television. My parents put on Star Trek. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I was pretty much hooked from the beginning. Um, Star Trek has been something that means so much to me because it, I mean, it, it goes to me, it goes beyond just just television. It's it's looking at the future in a way that at the time was never really done, but also I think has really never been replicated. Um, I think Star Trek is a hopeful look at the future for what humanity can be. I think Star Trek has so many lessons and thoughts in it that I'm still to this day shocks me that people don't flock to it more often but with all the problems we have in our world. Think of all the different things that you've seen that pe activists, that people, things that people do for, um, for, for gender rights, for race rights, for, um, for d the environment, for any, any issue you can think of. Star Trek has been tackling that since the 70s. Yeah. It's been tackling it and doing it in, at an exceptional, in an exceptional way since the 70s. And that w is what boggles my mind about people not liking Star Trek. It should be the thing we study. All yeah. the time. Just Gene Roddenberry's outlook and what he thought could become and the things that have, have come to fruition from, from his original stuff. Again, it just it boggles my mind. I mean, I don't know if, if you have the same thoughts there. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. It's like, for me, it was definitely the same thing. Um, first memory, like, one of the first memories I can actually think of is watching that rid like ridiculously gaudy set from the Star Trek original <laughs> series. It's like, um, and the, it's like, yeah, the ideas that were presented in Star Trek, I'm sure have had a massive impact on me as I've grown up. As like, I, um, I went into science, for instance, mm -hmm. like, and mm -hmm. so I'm sure that that had something to do with it. And yeah, even Star Trek, like its impacts, even just as like from cell phones, mm -hmm. which are is, like which are very reminiscent of yep. the communicators from the old thing, all the way up to the kind of realization of this more is like international set of people that are going out to do something amazing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, whether it's is, like, and that's been pretty much the the ongoing theme and trend that's kept a lot of these Star Trek properties together, whether they're in t television, movies maybe up until recently when they kind of diverged a little bit into some other things. But I think we're yeah. going to talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, and I think that you bring up a really good point. I mean, beyond the, the cultural and social issues that are that are devised in there, the new technologies mm -hmm. that have been inspired because of Star Trek. I mean, yeah. they've been working for years on on the idea of, of some of the, the medical things they talk about, the yeah. idea of, of a syringe that doesn't break the skin and it's more of a, you know, a, a dermal shot that you get is something that Star Trek introduced a long time ago. They, so basically, 
basically, for people who don't know, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna give a lot of Star Trek information, so we'll try to explain best possible. But yeah. if you need like a shot, if you're if you're sick and you, and you need medication, they no longer pierce your skin. They it's dermal. It, it touches the skin, but it goes in dermally. So it's it's a very different outlook. And and scientists have taken. I mean, I think the the communicator to cell phone thing is the yeah. best example. But also automatic opening doors, yeah. things like that that were weren't really seen before that Star Trek introduced. Um, and then for me, I think, yeah, it's like I, I kind of have the same thought as you. Like, I, I mean, I grew up in a, in a really good home and I had a good family life. So I had a lot of positive values being taught. And mm-hmm. Star Trek was definitely a part of that. Yep. Even growing up into my teen years, as, as, as a, individuals, we start to become a little bit more separate from sort of family and friends and really define your identity. Yep. Star Trek is where I got a lot of my values. Yep. And that's why I'm always so shocked that there are so many problems still in the world because <laughs> no frankly like star trek star trek from the beginning taught me that that surfacely you know what what someone may appear to be is no, is nothing it's one piece of the puzzle yeah. um, and star trek embraces differences it embraces <laughs> culture and it, it embraces everything in a way that i still think is challenging to a lot of people mm-hmm. even in their concepts of economy and money and that type of thing i've i've had so many arguments <laughs> with people about how well the money structure doesn't make any sense well they just eliminated it exactly there is no money there is structure no money that, there's no structure it, it's it's human beings in the star trek world have evolved beyond material gains and needs mm-hmm. what drives them is exploration yeah. betterment of themselves um certainly still a drive to help other people which yeah. gets them into a lot of trouble <laughs> sometimes yeah, yeah. um but i think for me i so many of of the values that i still hold dear today co- come from from these television shows and these movies so um i think that yeah for me this episode is is probably the deepest dive into who i am mm. that you could probably get yeah um as closed off as i am as a person i think this is where if you really want wanted to learn a lot about me you could probably learn it from from these types of things in in the movies and the the episodes here um so any any just before we dive into this any other early memories you can think of of you know being blown away by specific movies or episodes or any favorite episodes that come to mind from any of the series that you really like yeah so for the episodes um Let's see. I remember that, like, I watched a lot of the original series when I was a kid and didn't discover uh, The Next Generation until I was a teenager. Mm. And then the other series, like uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, not until I was in university. Mm. And so it's like, um, those ones have been spread out a lot more. Um, For me as a kid, it was literally just, I had, like, three VHS copies of six episodes from the original series. (laughs) And I just watched those ones incessantly. Amazing. And and there there was one where it was, like, the the Federation, who were the humans in this, usually, and then the Klingons, who were the main antagonists that were stuck on the same ship together. And their fighting was actually... um, basically feeding this mm. other alien entity that oh, was yes, feeding off of their violence yeah and then at the end they had to do like what would probably today think be a really cheesy 1960s laugh off of just like <laughs> yes. laugh this thing in out order, of the ship in order to, and that's what happened yeah. they laughed and then it left <laughs> they did but uh it's like but even as a as a kid that was pretty impactful and uh while it's been done in other ways since and probably with a little bit more of a it's like a fine point on it um, I'll always think back to that as kind of like the first times I saw that as sort of like 
how violence is like like for yourself, for your nation, for your federation, for your race, or whatnot, can end up fueling something else that's actually going to take advantage of you. Yeah, and I think that those types of of lessons are in that. Thing. And again, this is what I like about Star Trek. Mm -hmm. As much as like, yes, that's cheesy, mm -hmm. but but <laughs> Star Trek deals with issues through metaphor and allegory, and almost a Shakespeare. It's been compared to Shakespeare. Yeah, almost it's a Shakespearean dramatic. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. it's a dramaticized way of looking at things, but. For you and me, mm. we we might be the type of person who's like, oh, we love Star Trek and we're into it. For people who are a little bit not not there yet, everyone yeah. everyone experiences life at, at different levels, and some mm -hmm. people just not might not be there in their mind's eye to accept certain things. I think that Star Trek does a really good job of presenting it for the every person. Yeah. The every person gets presented with race issues without mm. knowing they're being presented with race mm. issues. And even though I think nowadays we've evolved to a point where we can be a little bit more direct. In the 70s and 80s and 90s and early 2000s, yep. that was not the case. And it's still not the case everywhere in the world. Sure. So I think there's a value to be said of what Star Trek does where, no, we're not going to say that we're going to talk about violence, but we're going to do it through this sort of allegory or this yeah. metaphor or this over-dramatized thing that you don't believe, but it makes you think. Yeah, for sure. And it does seem like a lot of Star Trek has this kind of like almost like film of awkwardness over it. Like if you look at it, there's a stiffness to especially mm -hmm. a lot of the original series stuff that I could see turning people away. Yeah. But if you look past those moments and you can it's like you can kind of see the um, the love for the material that was behind it. Definitely. And then with that came the love for all these greater ideas, these greater concepts and using these wonderful characters to tell Gene Roddenberry's idea of an ideal future. And uh, I think another, like one of my earliest memories of, of an original series episode was when they went to the planet where um, there's a feud and war because half the world has um, white on the left side of their face and half the world has white on the right side. It's like a, they're white and black basically mm -hmm. split yeah. down the middle and they're only feuding because half the world has white on the left and the other half has white on the right. Yep. And it's, you know, reverse of the black. And just the, the concept of that as a child, yeah. I went, <laughs> why would you, that is the dumbest thing to fight over. Why would you fight over that? But then you look at the world. Yeah. How oh, many, wait, that is a oh, yeah. Wait, the color of our skin causes a lot of issues. Yeah. And I think that that's, again, a very interesting way that Star Trek approaches an issue that makes you think, that's so ridiculous. But then when you look at it, you go, is it more ridiculous than what we fight over? Not really. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I really like what Star Trek does in terms of that as well. Yeah, and then just a, it's like just a quick other, another episode I yeah. just remembered is one when they actually had um, two warring races on a planet that were of like, uh, that weren't aware of like extraterrestrials and stuff like that, but mm. the uh, the Klingon side was arming one of the two sides, right. and then they had to make the choice about whether they were going to arm the other choice. It was a very yeah. direct allegory to the Cold War in yeah. terms of this arguments you had between the US and the Russia where they would be arming other nations it's like in order to basically fight their war for them. It's like and um, and wondering what was the correct choice of action in that case. And what I like about Star Trek is they don't always give you an answer. You, yeah. you don't leave every episode going, "Yep, that was the correct choice." Yeah, and, and there we was made no it. satisfactory yeah. answer at the end yeah. of that. No, it's like it was a it was a very sad ending to an episode. And yeah. Like, I didn't understand it as a kid, but now I now I get a little bit better. I well, think. and that's the, that's again, the, you're going to hear me say that's what's so great about Star Trek a lot. <laughs> but that that is one of the other things that makes Star Trek so amazing is through all its movies and all its TV series, which I think there's been what five. There's Discovery is the sixth television series, I think. 
Um, yes. Yeah. And then 13 movies is they don't always present you with a solvable problem, which mm-hmm. can which can be frustrating as someone listening and watching something for entertainment. But I think Star Trek does a really good thing of saying, like, sometimes there isn't a right answer. There's just decisions. Mm-hmm. I know one of my favorite episodes of Enterprise, which mm-hmm. is a, the one you said you yeah, haven't seen. Yeah, a blind spot for me. Yeah. Um, is this this episode where they basically enterprise takes place before kirk before really the federation was established it's just the first human ship to really go out there Mm -hmm. um and they come across a species that has three genders Mm -hmm. and the third gender is utilized pretty much only in the reproductive process so when when basically two of the people want to have a baby they require an enzyme from this third gender but the gender is looked at as kind of a lower life form in society even though medically they're pretty much the same Mm. so there's this huge thing that happens and i am not going to go into huge detail people should just watch it it's called cogenitor in case Mm. anyone's (laughs) enterprise is on netflix and the episode is called cogenitor um where basically one member of the crew takes this this individual under their this third gendered individual under their wing and is like I'm going to teach you how to read and write mm-hmm. and I'm going to show you all these things and then they want to leave their society which causes this whole issue and I'm going to spoil it but whatever because I just want to talk about it. the episode basically ends with this third individual is sent back to their people doesn't leave and commit suicide meaning that baby is now not going to be born and the captain and this crew member have this really heated debate and discussion that is not solved by the end of it Mm -hmm. it basically ends with you're putting your thoughts on culture and your thoughts on what's right onto another person's culture which is not right Mm -hmm. but also i don't know if i was in your position what i would do differently it was it's just one of these things where they're just angry the captain's just angry but has no because doesn't even admits i have no he says that one of the lines is i have no idea what i would have done in your position yeah and I think that that, again, is the power of Star Trek. It presents a cultural issue, an issue in discussion about gender, an issue in discussion about rights of individuals, but also throws this veil up as like, yeah, but you don't understand this culture. You don't know what it means there. And you and they don't. And we don't as listeners. We don't get enough of it. So it's really interesting. You, you snap to a conclusion, but then we'll look at look at what that action did so again that's long story short that's one of the other reasons i know i'm getting a geek, like really geeky with this no for sure because but, because yeah. that is like the for the foundation of the prime directive like the yeah. main thing in star trek that is like you should he's like you shouldn't interfere with other people's the natural development of any culture yeah, yeah. and it's like the cutoff yeah. for that is i guess once they have faster than light travel then at that point you're gonna yes. you're gonna discover what's out there yeah. but and and that's where the thing about the prime directive is once they have faster than light travel okay you're part of this bigger society we can teach yeah. and learn from each other but yeah. Star Trek does a really good job, and colonialism is discussed in Star Trek a lot, especially Heavily, Next yeah. Generation. Yeah. And they handle it as well with, I think, fantastic. They show the downsides of it. Yeah. They show the issues with it. They show the damage that has been done to to Earth because of of, of colonization and also in the, the vast universe. So, again, they're presenting Starfleet as we've learned from that. So we have this directive. But once someone's part of a community, we try to learn from each other. It's not us teaching someone else. It's you teach us, we'll teach you will learn from each other it's cooperation you can keep your culture we keep ours and it works together but then these little issues pop up and that's i think what makes the the show so interesting for sure yeah so enough about that we're going to dive into the movies (laughs) we've talked about the tv (laughs) show enough we're going to dive into the movies and i thought it would be good to start with our favorite movies we both presented lists we've read them out on air people Mm -hmm. know them but we'll remind people of it Mm -hmm. um your number one uh, star trek movie is the undiscovered country mine is the wrath of khan both from the original 
sort of six series movies that, mm-hmm. that came out in the sort of 70s and 80s. Um, so I thought we'd start there. We're going to talk about those two movies, and then we'll move on from there to talk about if people are new to Star Trek, where should they begin, and then we'll touch upon some of the other movies. So do you want to start with Undiscovered Country and give us a quick, maybe give us a quick plot synopsis, what is that movie yeah. about, and then kind of dive into it? Yeah, for sure. So we've already kind of talked about how there's the Federation and the Klingons, these two kind of warring factions, and throughout the entirety of the original series, the two of them are at war pretty much, or at least in a state of, like, uneasy peace. Mm-hmm. As I, And um, the Federation is supposed to be is like pretty much an allegory for the U.S. at the time, although mm-hmm. it was like Klingons were an allegory for the Russians. Mm-hmm. The Undiscovered Country is the movie where these two finally break down what they call the neutral zone, the stand-in for the Berlin Wall, the idea of the barrier between the two of them. They break that down. They agreed to cease hostilities. And so the fact that it came out, this movie came out in 1991 means it was quite potent. It was only a couple of years pri- previously that the Soviet Union had disbanded. And so this movie was all about how like the even the characters that we've grown to know and love and we think of them as these beacons of all the things that Gene Roddenberry had said about goodness and like in uh, justice and uh, uh, tolerance, how they still have these like prejudices and biases mm-hmm. against their enemies that they've been fighting for so long. And the movie really deals with that sort of back and forth between the two, is like those two ideas of tolerance versus prejudice, but then also about kind of how what some people are willing to go to in order to be able to keep things the way they are. And I think no scene in that movie, other than the dinner scene, really showcases that, where you've yeah. basically got Klingons and Federation officers from sitting down across a table, talking, and you see some of, bo- on both sides, the misunderstandings of the prejudices yeah. come out. And you can tell from the beginning, James T. Kirk wants all, absolutely none of this. He does not want any of this. He wants them off his ship. He didn't want this mission in the first place. No. And he has that one like terrible line where he basically compares what the one Klingon just said to Hitler from Hitler. 1938. Yeah. Like, and yeah. then you just have like the other the Klingon who brought this all together just sit there and pause and say, "Well, I suppose we have a very long way to go." Yeah, <laughs> and and again, that's it's interesting for in Star Trek always represents the Federation and Starfleet is the people looking for peace, but this movie does a masterful job, and it makes sense within James T. Kirk's character and everything he's gone through, especially oh, yeah. in the movies with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. He's gone through a lot. He um, He's in a position where he clearly has the furthest to go. Yep. The Klingons are almost a little bit closer than he is to wanting peace and needing it. He wants none of this, and and it's Spock who's really pushing him yeah. to, to be part of this and trying to explain. I, m- one of my favorite lines is the conversation they have where Spock's... I, I can't remember what leads other words. Spock says, basically, if we don't help them, they will die. And Kirk says, let them die. Yep. Which I think, again, is a line where if they hadn't done such a good job building Kirk's character, you wouldn't mm-hmm. understand why he's saying that. But they've done such a good job in this timeline of developing him into this person that you understand why he hates the Klingons. Yeah. But he's hating an entire race of people because of the actions of a few. Yeah, as a, and that's the funny thing, even as audience members, we haven't actually seen anything other than the same ones that he's seen. We've exactly. only seen every exactly. Klingon and everything so far has been an antagonist. We've never get, got to see their home world. We never got to see it's like anything of that stuff, which they really go into with the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, you you sympathize with them, and you're almost on his side at the beginning. Absolutely. And then as it goes through, I think it's funny because in the, the plot actually requires that um, 
I think the the main antagonists of the movie who set things into motion so that they're going to go back to war between the Klingons and Federation are also banking on the fact that Kirk is also is going to just as soon as this as uh, negotiations appear to break down, he's yeah. going to fire back. But Absolutely. at that moment, his Starfleet train does take over, and yeah. then we get the rest of the movie that proceeds through these series of basically this slower stuff like courtroom things mm-hmm. and interesting es- espionage and assassinations but also probably one of the most interesting uh like ship to ship battles at the end of the movie absolutely that, yeah. well let's talk about that quickly because that is something i want to talk into is, is is star trek is more than than an action adventure and i i don't mm-hmm. even think it i think star trek kind of developed its own category of movie and, and television because it's not action adventure is a part of it yep. and undiscovered country is one of the best examples of here's a space battle like you might see in star wars mm-hmm. but then here is intense philosophical and political discussion that's done better than star wars could ever do yep. in a way where you you are captivated and interesting if you're invested and and i think that's where some people get get i think turned off and and don't really relate to things is they're not as invested in the characters and they haven't mm-hmm. grown with it but this is undiscovered country i think is the fifth sixth sixth, yeah. sixth movie so so we've been with kirk for six movies yep. plus his his tv series was on for, for three years mm-hmm. so you've seen a character develop and grow and you've seen these things and it's it's flipping things a bit yeah it's it, just like you just said the audience feels like kirk does because all we've ever seen is the klingons as an enemy mm-hmm. and then suddenly you're telling us that to not do that and you realize as, as someone watching is like, oh, I was also being very prejudiced because yep. I was basing every Klingon on the ones that I've met, which is the ones that, that Kirk has met. And that's it. Yep. Even though it's it's a vast culture of, of billions of people. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, Undiscovered Country, yeah, it's definitely one. I think I ranked it fourth. Like, it's one of my favorites. For yeah, sure. for sure. And it's uh, I don't think it's uh, nearly as well appreciated as um, some of the other it's ones. It's really not. It's like, and it's, I think it deserves a lot more out of it. Um, probably it has something I've always loved about uh, Star Trek. Because as you said, it's definitely not just an action like series. It's a sci-fi like adventure mm-hmm. series with all these different mm-hmm. stuff. But there's a, they have a really good way of being able to build tension just before space battles in Star definitely. Trek movies. Much more, much better than I think most Star Wars things, where you already know the battle's coming, so you're just kind of ready yeah. for it. In this, and to be clear, I love Star Wars. Oh, for me too. Yeah, so we, let's, we, let's... we just discussed, discussed off air that we're not into that Star Wars versus Star Trek. No, thing. no, we think they're, there's they're both no, great they're, for their own reasons. Exactly. And um, exactly. but this is something that I think Star Trek does really well. There's a great sequence in the Undiscovered Country where they're just having a chat on the on their ship as they're escorting this Klingon ship back to Federation space. And then out of nowhere, this torpedo goes off and fires at the other ship. And there's this moment of dread where all the characters are just staring at the screen, no music. And they all wonder, someone says, what's happened? And the other person says, I think we just fired on their ship. And then just chaos erupts. And like that moment, that deep breath before this huge plunge. Yeah. It's just great. It's wonderful. And and it really, that actually segues very well into your second pick mm. and, and my number one, Wrath of Khan. Yeah. A movie that builds tension in a way that I still haven't really seen, other than yeah. some thrillers and some, some horror movies. Like, Wrath of Khan, the, the battle, the cat and mouse game between Khan and Kirk in oh, yeah. that is just, I mean, Kirk... Is one step ahead of Khan, then Khan's one step ahead of Kirk. Like they're just back and forth and back and forth, and it's yeah. it's it's such an incredible way to build tension. Yeah, and how frequently do you see where the antagonist and protagonist never share the same room together? Not once. It's like, and yet the yet yeah. you still feel that connection yeah. way more than you do for yeah. a lot of other movie antagonists yeah. that yeah. you go back and forth. It almost made it a little bit 
scarier. Like I'm, I'm huge in, if I can't see something that's terrifying. Yeah. If I, if I'm not in the same room, like I'm, if I hear a noise in the middle of the night, that would scare me way more than like seeing what's making the noise. Right. Because to me, my imagination is so much worse than what could happen. So to, to be in a position to be in, put yourself in Kirk's position to have a voice from a communicator or a voice from a screen antagonizing you and causing such pain yeah. throughout this movie is way more terrifying than a fist fight. Oh yeah. The two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Not that that wouldn't have been great. It's yeah, just, they it's, were both aging at that time. Well, and they gave it to you in search for Spock anyway, between yeah. only with Christopher Lloyd and yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I think that, I think for me, wrath of Khan, uh, it's my favorite just because it, it's one of the ones where I like to show people that one near the beginning of their, their entry yep. into Star Trek yep. because I think it it's a movie that is universally accepted as one of the, the best Star Trek movies. It has a villain that has you can kind of relate to where the villain's coming from. It's not just a faceless villain. It's a villain with a backstory and an interesting one. And then what happens throughout that you're kind of you, you're along for this ride and you have no idea what's going to happen, yeah. especially when it comes to the end of that movie. And at the time, it was like an unprecedented thing that happened. Yeah, yeah. And that, that sequence at the end will just, is like, wrecks me every time. Every time, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. absolutely. And it's, it's, so, it's so interesting to look at everything that goes into that movie and the decision making again i don't want this is one where i'm not going to spoil because i Good want call. people to, to call it but what i will say is and you'll understand this yeah. what we're talking about the the moment on the bridge before things happen mm. seeing that thought process go through a certain person's mind of yeah. like oh I got to go do this. Yeah. I, I, you can catch it. And the fact that the film is so good that you can see a character without speaking, you see something change in them and they leave the room knowing like they just got some sort of idea or get some sort of acceptance of, I know what I need to do yeah. was again, it's just incredible filmmaking. And I don't think oh. Star Trek films are looked at in the same way as some other films are for the amount of great direction and writing that's really put into it. Yeah, so it's funny that both of our favorite movies, both Wrath of Khan and Undiscovered Country, are both directed by the same guy, uh, yep. Nicholas Mayer. Mm -hmm. um, it's like who basically, yeah, he's a master at being able to capture these small moments. Yep. It's like where just like a look from a character, like and it's probably like an editing trick in some ways too, being able to get that look in the exact right position with the exact right insert shots so that you as, a, as, like, as the audience can follow yeah. A to B to see like yeah. that's what's going through their head right now. Especially the thought process of a character. Like if you don't have an internal monologue to show us what a character's thinking yeah. by just little frames of editing or little movements that the character does is really interesting to me. So yeah, yeah they, sure. they it does a fantastic job doing that. Um, but yeah, I think like Wrath of Khan for me, if people are looking to start in Star Trek, that's mm -hmm. one of the areas I would say to, to begin with, because I do think the movie itself holds up as a, as a strong movie, even if you take the Star Trek out of it. Yeah, and it helps that the director at the time wasn't really that big into Star Trek, so no. when he entered it, so he um, he basically like worked a lot of things back from the ground up. The uniforms are completely different mm -hmm. at that point. The military style that he like attributes to Starfleet was not really present at the beginning before that, so in a lot of ways he was reshaping it to fit his own his own wants mm -hmm. so then it kind of works for an audience coming in without the background of the original series you can just kind of walk in and see what he's made and i think that 
you know, if you are going to begin into Star Trek, there's sort of two points that I'm thinking of people should begin with. The, probably the 2009 J.J. Abrams movie. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, like, Wrath of Khan. Like, that would literally, I know they're, like, so far apart and certainly thematically different. But to me, the power Star Trek has, and I'm going to do a quick TV reference back to the next generation. Mm-hmm. If I were to say, okay, you're going to start with next generation, I would show people the best of both worlds, part one and two, yep. and the episode that precedes it or that comes after it called home mm. where star Trek can go from here's an action adventure with stakes to here's a story about family and yep. identity and who you are. And that's to me, the power of star Trek is it can tell multitudes of types of stories, even within each, you know, the wrath of Khan and undiscovered country are two very different story there is no ambiguity that khan is a villain yeah. in the wrath of khan yeah for sure undiscovered country is it's just all ambiguity there, there, there's no sense on where you stand and that's why they call, i mean it's called the undiscovered country for a reason yeah. they are there's a there's a sense of discovery mm-hmm. um within within yourself within the way you think that's happening in the undiscovered country in wrath of khan it's essentially a game of cat and mouth mouse with a bad guy and a good guy yeah um and i think that to me that's what's so interesting and, and again saying what's so great about star trek <laughs> is this that can show you these multitudes of things and and it still fit within the world for sure yeah yeah and um and it's great as you were saying that at one point that like um star star trek kind of has its own genre in a way and it's like and um it's kind of or at least it's defined its own particular mm-hmm. set of genre but at the same time it also plays around with different genres so wrath of khan actually has like a pretty strong horror element to it because of the weird earbugs that are, pre- like, that yes, are present absolutely. in it, absolutely. which terrified me as a child. Oh, and yeah. Like, yeah. And they can still do to this to this day. I, yeah. I remember feeling the some of the most anxiety and fear in a movie ever mm-hmm. when I went um, to see First Contact in the movie theater. Yeah. Like, the Borg at that time was the scariest thing I could think of. Yeah. Because it's essentially a zombie, but a, a, a way smarter zombie. Yeah. Um, the the idea that Star Trek can do that, where I, I as a kid, w- there are scenes in Star Trek that I had a, in that movie that I had a real hard time watching as a kid. I mean, I love First Contact. Yeah. It's up there as one of my top movies. But I think going in the theater, I had that, so that same feeling of that horror element was definitely there. For sure, yeah. The Borg are terrifying and they were probably one of the, the best species additions that the TNG made from oh, the original. Because they, um, they add this whole other layer about the collective versus individuality that really works well in the Star Trek themes. Yeah. And uh, First Contact does a good job with putting that forth through, especially because they had the budget at this point to make yeah. the Borg look terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And they did a great job with it. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do now is quickly move through a couple of the other movies I'm going off kind of our, our top list that we put together, but I want to only touch upon a few things because I do think it to, to help with people who don't know Star Trek, I think it would be good to touch upon the different types of movies. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking primarily about the original six um, movies, part of the original series that are kind of connected. Then the next generation has three movies of its own. Um, and then we get into the the newer ones that I, I, most people are probably more familiar with, the J.J. Yeah. Abrams, Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness, Star Trek Beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get to there, um, quickly going through this, um, I do want to talk about Star Trek Generations, 
Star Trek um, First Contact and Star Trek Insurrection, which are the three movies that have, uh, that's Patrick Stewart mm -hmm. and Jean-Luc Picard and, and, and their series. So give, give me your general thoughts on those three movies, um, just in general, and then we'll touch a little bit more on them. Yeah, for sure. So as, like, as I said, I, I discovered The Next Generation much later than the original series, but I, I, I grew to love it almost as much, if not more, the show especially. The show was amazing. It had such great ideas and a much more, uh, I would say, refined palette for what it was looking at as opposed to it's like uh, the original which was could kind of be a little bit blatant at times mm -hmm. tng was a little bit more refined in the way oh, that yes. it looked at things <laughs> um the movies because of that reason i think i had a little bit of a hard time what is like enjoying the movies as much as others have simply because a lot of them do feel like action movies with a rather elder cast it's mm -hmm. like um and it never really is like also because they have like a, a wonderful ensemble of people that so for the it's like a ensemble cast of people and for the show you can like focus on Riker for an episode you can focus yeah. on uh, Deanna Troy for an episode um, for the movies it pretty much always has to be because you don't have time for all that every other character usually gets set playing a, a bit part on the side and then you get yeah. Patrick Stewart as yeah. Picard and Brent Spiner as Data, Data the two favorites who get all of yeah. the, the growth in each really movie. there and I forgot to mention Nemesis in there which is the yeah. fourth movie yeah. of, of that so really those four movies are really the journey of Data and Picard for yeah. the most part and in the original series it's, it was always Spock, McCoy and Kirk like yeah. that three for sure yeah. but, but that was always the series too. but that was, was the series too, yeah. And you're right. You bring up a really good point. Star Trek Next Generation had such a great ensemble. Mm -hmm. You had an episode about Geordi. You had an episode about Worf. You had an episode about Deanna Troy. Like, But in the movies, they do become side characters, especially yeah. Geordi. Geordi doesn't get he to do doesn't anything in the he, movies. Between the first and second movie, he goes from having a visor to these like implants, like mm -hmm. a complete change that is pretty much just was like, oh, yeah, and it, that happened. And then off. that happened. Yeah, off. Like, Which would, it could have been it's, a really good it could have been thing. A great, yeah. It could have yeah. been a great episode, for yeah. sure. I'm not sure if it would have made yeah. a great movie, but it would have been, definitely been a good episode. Some of the complaints that, yeah, I think come in about the Star Trek The Next Generation movies are they tried too hard to make it like action movies yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean again I, I think the biggest exception in there is I think First Contact is it a yeah. phenomenal movie yeah I think if if they're all trying to become action movies First Contact succeeds at being an actual decent action movie Definitely. as well as a meditation uh, yes. a lot of the other themes yes. that we go through um, and I mean you ranked um, you ranked the others except for Nemesis quite a bit lower than me you mm -hmm. ranked Nemesis as your ninth favorite mine in the 11th but yeah. the like a Generations um, and even Insurrection I ranked a little bit higher but we're still around the same area mm -hmm. i think for me generations was a really good kickoff to the movies it was yep. what i wanted from the tv series to the movies yeah and then first contact was very good so i i do this thing with some movies like the first x-men movie and the second x-men movie where i loop them together yeah where to me one couldn't exist without the other right, so that makes sense. to me generations and first contact are really good as a as a tandem and then insurrection they i felt like they started to lose their way a bit and then i you like nemesis a little bit more than mm -hmm. i did um i just felt nemesis you could tell that it's over like talk about aging cast i was like you can tell they're really over old yeah like it's done yeah it's like i think part of it um i, I think it can all be brought back to the climax of both movies for me so the, the climax of in like insurrection i'm not going to give it away but one of the things is in it is that patrick stewart which is a great actor phenomenal mm -hmm. loved mm -hmm. him in this series as well as the x-men series as yeah. well as um green room which another great movie he yeah, was in a little bit recently that, yeah wonderful actor there's a portion in insurrection where he's literally wearing like a john mcclain tank top and climbing yes. up like a ladder <laughs> with a gun strapped over his back and i'm like what has happened here he's just this too is, old to do that and this shouldn't picard, be happening <laughs> i mean picard could 
could do a lot of the same physical things as Kirk, but yeah. he's not Kirk. Picard no, and Kirk were be. so different. Yeah. Picard was way more of a negotiator, yeah. way more philosophical issues. Like what I liked, so what I liked about Insurrection mm. was the idea of Picard versus the Enterprise. Mm. Oh, sorry, the, the, sorry, the Federation. Federation yeah. Yes, yeah. the Federation versus Picard mm. has always been a theme of the television show, and yeah. they brought it back into Insurrection as Starfleet's making decisions that. Picard doesn't agree with mm -hmm. because so just to clarify for people the Federation is is basically the large body that everything's a part of and Starfleet is like the military and exploration aspect of it it's like the military versus the government yep. Starfleet has its own government and and sort of structure within it but but it reports to the Federation sometimes they go rogue mm -hmm. and in this movie it's Picard saying the values of the Federation are important to me and what Starfleet's doing I don't agree with and I think yeah. that was a good thing within there but yeah I agree with you they made him too much okay we're gonna make him an action hero he's gonna Let's, go for it yeah. he's gonna be he's gonna get that gun and he's gonna shoot it's like um, <laughs> it's like but meanwhile like in nemesis the climax in nemesis he is on the bridge of his ship as he should as be, he should be. Yeah, where, like, uh, and that to me is where nemesis they did repair that a little bit is he's on the bridge of the ship during the climax of the movie mm -hmm. and the action parts are being like Riker's having a fight with someone on it. Yeah. That was always Riker's role. I mean, yeah. Riker was, the Kirk was a little, the... yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was, and he was. and I mean, he was a bit old by that point too. But yeah, still, yes. it made more sense in who these characters were to say, "There's a someone's invaded the ship, whatever." Riker and Worf go take care of it. Mm -hmm. Picard stays on the bridge. Yeah. That's always been the way it was. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think that Nemesis did do a better job of that. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will agree with you that definitely, if there were if there were lines showing in the Insurrection, they were pretty much chasms in Nemesis at that point. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they were definitely done. And and I you know I'm I'm always for characters coming back as as old like when they're older, but but have them be older. Don't try to, yeah. to yeah. make them be younger for sure um okay so quickly into to jj abrams so mm -hmm. 2009 we got a reboot of star trek we got three movies out of it um that landed us in 2016 we got the star trek movie just called star trek and then we got um into darkness and star trek beyond mm -hmm. um so what are your thoughts on on these these movies yeah so uh, say i distinctly remember so if i'm thinking of like memorable moments of like star trek throughout my life one of the most memorable moments i think was corralling my entire group of friends who none of them have ever liked star yeah. trek ever yeah. corralling them to go see this i new did the movie, same thing <laughs> shoving them into the theater and everyone coming out being like just yeah that was amazing i like, did the exact same yeah. thing i had several friends at the time who kind of knew what star trek was but weren't really into it but i just said you're coming we're going to this and they oh. all loved it yeah I, I remember distinctly my friend trying to um when she was going into the theater trying to say something to make me happy so she said may the force be with you and i was like that's, that's not, the wrong yeah, series and no. she's like, oops, <laughs> oops so, yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 my my friends know better than to try that but yeah. they, they'll just <laughs> quietly sit there and watch <laughs> but yeah i think i i definitely had a, a similar i i went into it with some some nerves as to what this was going to be but was yep. very happy to come out of it as he did a great job of preserving what Star Trek is while mm -hmm. adding to it for, for the new generation and adding to it for, for new fans. Yeah, it was, it was an upgrade and pretty much uh, is like upgrade for the current gen in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And um, is like, I think a lot of that came down to the pitch perfect casting. They yes. managed to get actors that like fit each of those roles 
and even kind of expand on some of the characters that were just pretty much background for a lot of the original series. And and really, I think, gave us more more exposure for some actors who hadn't really had their big break yet. Yep. Like, I mean, Zachary Quinto was amazing in The Heroes mm-hmm. first season that I watched, and then I kind of fell off from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he, he was someone, I, I think, great casting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't think of a, a better person now to take on the mantle of Spock yeah, than I, Zachary Quinto. I would have thought it was impossible before yeah. I saw it, and then it was like, oh, well. There you go. <laughs> well Science. done. Well done. Yep. Um, and then cap. even, you know, even in a lesser role, you know, John Cho, mm-hmm. who I only knew is is that creepy guy from American Pie, <laughs> uh, suddenly, I mean, he's done so many amazing movies. Yeah. And Searching was one of my favorite yeah. movies from last year that stars him. Mm-hmm. H- him taking on, uh, again, Sulu, which may not have been as big of a role as Spock, but again, a, a pretty iconic role and become an yeah. iconic role. Um, he did a great job with that. For sure, yeah. And so, and so I left that movie and with the, one of the first feelings I've ever had of looking forward to a sequel because they had actually done this. They'd set it up in such a way that I'm like, you've done it. You've, yeah. you've broken yourself yeah. from having to draw, draw from the old stuff. You're, you've set yourself out into space, second start of the rights, right into morning, all that stuff. Yeah. And then what's going to happen next? And so then, talk about what happened next, because you have some strong feelings about Star Trek Into Darkness. I have some very strong feelings about Star Trek Into Darkness, and they're not of the positive variety. Okay, so <laughs> before we d- dive into that, because I want to talk about it too, because uh, it was my least favorite. Can we at least agree mm. that they, they gained back some of it with Beyond? 100%. I, I really enjoyed I, Star I Trek Beyond. I love Star Trek Beyond. Okay. I was like, this is the sequel that we should have got at the end. And I was skeptical after, from yeah. the first trailer. I was yeah. worried about Star Trek Beyond. The fact that the director of Fast and the Furious yes, is going to be doing yeah. this was a little bit nerve-wracking. What is going on? But I have to tell you, and if out there people, there's been lots of negative reviews of Star mm-hmm. Trek Beyond, it's worth watching. Yeah. I really enjoyed that movie. 100%. There okay. is like, so and we can agree on that. Yeah, we can 100% <laughs> agree on that. I think that Star Trek Beyond should have been the sequel to Star Trek 2009. Oh, for sure. Also because it kind of worked well is like with the thematics. The first the one was about Kirk trying to mm-hmm. earn his position at Starfleet. Beyond is about him kind of wondering, did I even want this or did I just take and it? And I loved that it. arc for it the was, new Kirk. So I loved the way they did that. Yeah. And and I, I just love his opening uh, sort of captain's lock at the beginning of Star Trek Beyond where he talks about how everything's becoming episodic and it's, everything's and becoming like, the same thing. It's like, I see what yes, you're doing. Now. I see what you're doing. But in such a brilliant way, <laughs> oh, like, so of good. course so that good. would happen if you're in space and doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. It, it's such, they did such a great job with it. Oh, okay. for sure. So Star Trek Into Darkness, go into it. Why Why don't you like that movie? Okay, so so it's going to be hard to talk about this without spoiling kind let, of one of the main... Let's give spoiler. Okay, so we're spoiler alert for Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah. We are going to spoil this because I think it's, it's fair. So if you don't um, want to to hear anything come back in five minutes fast forward the podcast in five minutes mute us for five minutes and then we'll be back at, at 315 with with a, with our <laughs> final segment but we're going to talk for five minutes we're going to spoil go ahead. okay so yeah so star trek into darkness one of the big things that happened during the big marketing push for it is everyone was saying that benedict cumberbatch who was playing the antagonist was going to be playing con mm-hmm. it's like the from the antagonist from star trek 2 um, aside from the fact that Khan Noonien Singh is obviously not a pasty white guy, yep. <laughs> as like excluding that, <laughs> excluding as, that, as like, yeah, um, yeah. I was not on, da- on board with that simply because we don't need to retread what we've already done before. You've set yourself out to boldly go where no one has gone before, not boldly go back to the second movie. Mm-hmm. So I was not pleased with the choice to actually basically recycle things from the previous ones. 
The other problem is that they recycled a story that was supposed to be about Kirk realizing that he's getting older and that there's like the things from his past are coming up to haunt him. And they recycled it here so that when Benedict Cumberbatch says his name, I am Khan, Kirk, it means nothing to him. Yeah, absolutely nothing. nothing. He yeah. doesn't know. It's like it means something to the audience, but mm-hmm. it means nothing to him. Mm-hmm. And so then his story is supposed to be one, once again, of trying to figure out, has he earned the captain's chair? And so instead of earning the captain's chair like you're supposed to, you sit on the bridge, you do what Spock does in the movie. Mm -hmm. You basically come up with the plans in order to be able to save your ship. He earns, in quotations, the captain's chair by doing what Spock did in Wrath of Khan, which we won't get get into. It's like, but... It all comes down to basically this rehash of something that really you had the chance to do something new and you just decided to go back and do something that we've already seen before and we've already seen better and more emotionally potent. It's like, um, so yeah, so not a big fan of uh, Into Darkness. And what I will say and what I will agree with you is that is one of my movie pet peeves that we've talked about in this show constantly is that idea of we introduce a character and uh, this character has a really interesting hat. So the the next uh, movie we do will be a prequel about how he got his hat yeah, or yeah. how he got his vest. And they just get it wrong. Yeah. They always, people, filmmakers focus on the things that are incorrect. Like what we liked about Wrath of Khan was not the fight between mm-hmm. the two. I mean, it was in a sense of it, but it was the struggle and that, that thematically for Kirk, that idea of getting old, that idea of where does he belong. Because yeah. even in Wrath of Khan, he's questioning his, his place. Yeah. On the sh- on the bridge of the Enterprise. So in Into Darkness, yeah, again they they misplace the captain and misplace the moments as to where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing in order to earn that next step. Um, I think they were trying too hard mm-hmm. to give people something, Star Trek fans something they recognized, and new people something really interesting and some high stakes for a high big stakes. adventure they're story. Always yeah. about the high stakes in yeah. the sequel. It's <laughs> yes. really, really important. Which that. I think is what Star Trek Beyond did so well. There yeah. are stakes, but it's it's localized stakes. Yeah. They're, they, you know, they're basically they they're gonna go destroy one one outpost yeah and that's it but that's enough because mm-hmm. there are people living there and all these things so i think that you know the the stakes are definitely something to hit what i kind of liked about into darkness for me was the other side of kind of the character of kirk is i sort of liked that that little transition point from the first movie him being kind of overconfident but is still a little unsure the second movie he begins into darkness with his being extremely overconfident he says to when when pike is basically saying you know i'm taking the the enterprise away from you he says to him how many people have i lost under my command zero yeah. and he's saying that is the only important point which is an important point but again he's got this sense of i've never lost anyone under my command i know what i'm doing i'm very good at it and he gets that st- stripped away from him yeah. very quickly and i think that that was an interesting thing for me is to me it ha- does help explain his transition into beyond where he's now questioning do i even belong here i yeah. think he needed to have I, I agree with the idea of like let's do something big to kirk but i don't i think they missed it because of what ra- that that reversal of basically spock and kirk's role mm-hmm. i don't think worked the way they wanted it to. no and i think it really should have been if kirk was if in that thing it was about him earning the captain's chair what it needed to be was him not being the guy to go punch someone in the face not yep. be the guy to go blow yep. something up he needed to learn that he needs to be the one sitting yep. in that chair making the decisions and like and relying on other people to make those like to make things happen when he tells them yep. to definitely it's like and um yeah i think they really missed out on that capacity for that so um to wrap up our our star trek conversation which has been great um where would you say 
you would suggest to someone who's never watched Star Trek but maybe wants to give it a shot, where do you think they should begin? Yeah, so weirdly enough, I'm actually it's like almost in the exact same position that you are, that I think the best way to get someone nowadays interested in Star Trek is to start with the J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. Star Trek 2009 mm-hmm. and then immediately go back and watch two, three, and four yep. from the original. Does Definitely. It, especially they, they work together they, really well. They work yeah. together really well as a, as a trilogy. It's like you also get the um, the setup of like Spock Prime, as they call him. Yep. And so you were introduced Definitely. to this character. You can go back and see what he's like. You watch two, three, four, skip five, watch six, yep. and then jump back to Star Trek Beyond. And it actually makes this nice little bookend yeah. on both sides of I it. I really like that. And we will send this out on our social media. Mm-hmm. We'll get, you're our official Star Trek correspondent. <laughs> so we'll get your, this is the order you watched it. And yep. I really agree with, with that jumping back to that sort of little mini trilogy that's mm-hmm. within the, the six movies. Sure. I think they work really well together. They do. And I think that it is a really important thing. Like, let's get introduced to, to Spock Prime in 2009, Leonard Nimoy playing him, mm-hmm. um, and then let's go let's go learn a little more about him before we dive into Beyond again. Yeah, yeah and then you get all that, and especially because Beyond, at that time in the real world, Leonard Nimoy had just passed away, and so mm-hmm. they have a very nice send-off for him in that movie, and so mm-hmm. it works well to like almost bring the entirety of the series around the character that we all kind of know. Definitely. And then outside of this, go and watch the Next Generation television series, yes. because it's just yeah, amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I, I totally agree with you i i think that star trek 2009 is a great place to go uh wrath of khan is a great place to go from there but then yeah watch the star trek next generation series it'll make you appreciate the movies a little bit better mm-hmm. and i do think star trek uh first contact is a, if you're looking for a really good action adventure with a bit of a horror twist to it um watch that with friends on a friday night because you'll, you'll have an amazing time it's, it's a, a good movie. one to choose for sure um well there you go so that's our star trek part we are going to do not a great plan because taylor did send in headlines and you're gonna you're gonna help us with this wonderful um and give your insights and some headlines but uh that's been our star trek talk so thanks for doing this oh no worries Um, and uh that's that was tyler our official star trek correspondent um so now we're going to go into uh not a great plan It's time for everyone's favorite segment, beloved by every single listener, Not A Great Plan. Let's do a head count here. Your brother, the demigod, a super soldier, living legend who kind of lives up to the legend, a man with breathtaking anger management issues, a couple of master assassins, and you, big fella. You've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not A Great Plan. That's right, it's not a great plan where we take a look at headlines in current movie news and see what Tony Stark thinks of them. Here's our first headline. Zack Snyder is still talking about the quote-unquote better version of Justice League he never got to make. Not a great plan. Not quite my tempo. We've added the not quite my tempo thing in there. Um, Good choice. So yeah, I don't know... Have you seen the Justice League movie? No, I have not. I've seen uh, Batman v Superman, v Superman? Okay. and uh, that was pretty much where I pulled the eject on the on that series. Um, <laughs> so, good choice. I mean, what I will say is Justice League. You come. I came out of Batman v Superman angry. Mm-hmm. I came out of Justice League going, all right, 
Yeah. <laughs> just whatever. It was you just kind of pointless. You see, I think I, I came out of Man of Steel angry. Yeah. I came out of Batman v Superman as kind of like I just watched a train wreck. Yeah. And so I was just kind of like, <laughs> I, I feel kind of accelerated, but I feel bad yeah. for being accelerated. Yeah. Is like, And the idea that you can make this better by cutting things out of it, it's just, it's rotten at its core. You can't fix it without, it's like with, uh, with editing. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think Zack Snyder is the right person. I'm sorry to say, like, I think there is no better version of Justice League. I'm Sorry, yeah. there isn't. I think I think Zack Snyder is an ama- would be would have been an amazing director of photography because he has an amazing eye for uh, <laughs> it's like for that. So cinematography was great. I've never not thought his movies are pretty, but um, yeah, actually constructing them as a story yeah. that, that remains to be seen. Yeah, sorry, Zack Snyder. Uh, the next headline is on second thought, maybe we'll just skip putting Deadshot in the next Suicide Squad movie, huh? Not a great point. Not quite my tempo. I didn't know how to do that, huh, Reed, other than that. Um, yeah, so I guess Taylor had reported uh, a couple weeks ago that Edris Elba was going to be taking on, um, taking over from Will Smith um, in the next Suicide Squad movie as Deadshot, but then it was just reported, nope, that's not happening. Nope. So I don't know if you've seen any, if you've seen, did you see the first Suicide Squad I did movie? see the first Suicide Squad, um, yes. Yeah, so I don't know where they're going from here now. I think, I guess it's just a whole new cast with James Gunn directing it. Yeah, I think the, it's like, really, I, I, Aside from probably as like Harley Quinn from the first one, I don't find myself really like connected to anything from that first movie. Um, if they can get rid of everything and start new, like Scorched Earth style, then I, that's I'm I'm all on board. Yeah, for that. me that, too. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really did enjoy um, uh, like some of the characters. Like I thought Harley Quinn and Deadshot were kind of the best part of that movie. But sure. I, I think starting from scratch, there's no problem there. Yeah. Uh, next headline, China censored Bohemian Rhapsody's LGBTQ plus content so heavily that the film no longer really makes any sense. Not a great point. Not quite my tempo. I'm sorry for laughing. I'm laughing at the, the way Taylor wrote that. The film no longer makes any sense. Yeah, of it, course it doesn't. It didn't make sense to start with. <laughs> yeah, like, if you take that out of it, then the movie has lost literally all, every, like, I, what is that story? Uh, I don't even know. Like, it's, what the story was beforehand is so hard. For, I'm not a big, I wasn't a big, very big fan of Bohemian mm-hmm. Rhapsody. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, but I, it's like, and I didn't think they told that story especially well. I can imagine by removing that, then it's any legs that it had to stand on are now just being <laughs> now effective. Gone. Yeah, that's just you, you take that out of it. Then I mean, I'm again, I'm never going to quite understand that um, censoring things in that way. But again, I think for in this particular case, I agree with you. You're taking away everything it has. Literally left. the only things it has left. The next headline, the TLC story could be coming to Broadway. Not a great plan. Not quite my tempo. So, so TLC is getting a, a movie and now a Broadway musical, I guess. I don't even what what is the TLC story is that um I thought this is the band <laughs> but maybe maybe the sometimes Taylor sometimes Taylor does throwbacks to things that we've talked about before so I don't know if she means a story or if she means TLC because that's the band right don't go chasing waterfalls is not oh, like a thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, when T- it's like TLC to me means the learning channel. So like the the old channels that used to have like trading spaces and all those like old reality shows and uh, Honey Boo Boo and all that stuff. No, okay. So it is it is about the band. Yeah, don't go chasing waterfalls. Do you know what that song is? I, I do. So yeah. It's like, so is that, that, that's that makes, them, isn't it? That makes a lot more or sense. Or is that somebody else? I don't know. Anyway, it looks like they're getting a Broadway musical. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, cool. We've got one more headline. We're going to get to it. Uh, even WWE superstars are out here covering A Star is Born's Shallow. Not a great point. Not quite my tempo. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you just can't escape it. Can I can't you? escape <laughs> a star is born. And I, I look the minute this came up, I looked it up. 
because I was like, there's no way that's true. And there are WWE wrestlers who are covering Shallow. There, there, are, there are song covers out there from WWE stars. I couldn't believe it. It's all I've watched this morning. Like when I read those headlines, that's all I've been doing. I didn't do a lick of work. I'm so busy today and I did nothing but listen to these things. It's, oh, it's awful. Well, I know it's what I'm worst. doing with the rest of my day then. Yeah, just put it into YouTube. Yeah. Just WWE stars cover Shallow. And there's so many of them and it's ridiculous. Oh, beautiful. Um, and I'm, I'm, we're never. Do you, do you have one that you would recommend specifically? Um, I don't know their names, so no, <laughs> no, no. I, I, but all of them are great. There oh. is, there was a duo that I actually thought sang it really well, and I was surprised. But I, I'll try to find it for you. I can't remember their names, but yeah, it was pretty funny. Wonderful. Um, so we're about at the end here. Um, I hope people got something out of this episode. I really do think that Star Trek. Um, I mean, for me, it's it's such a personal thing, but I think there's so much uh, denseness within this world, and I think it's it is something to dive into, especially if you're looking for that glimmer of hope or you're looking to see where what could we become even as even as a person individual society is so big and there's so many factors as a person individual i'm like i'm not fan fanboying out here i honestly believe i've learned a lot from these movies and these this television series so to me that's that's kind of what uh, i want to leave people with um what about you for sure, yeah. It's um, Star Trek's been a big part of my life. It's been it's like um, pretty much a touchstone for me for not just being from science, from being a person, but also learning film language. It was one of the first things that I ever watched consistently over and over again to actually get myself acquainted with what it means to tell a story through film. So totally. I I really enjoyed it. And uh, I really enjoyed talking about it. So thanks for having me on. Oh, and thank you for coming. And that was Tyler, our official Star Trek correspondent. Next time we have news, you'll be here. I'm getting get business cards made. And Absolutely. It's be wonderful. Thank you so much, Tyler, for coming. You were great. Um, and for everyone else, live long and prosper.